Welcome to Tech Junior. Hey everyone, got a great show today. We were talking to Michelle Brenner, who's a Netflix engineer and backend developer, about salary negotiation. So we get into how to talk to your boss and how to kind of organize your thoughts for performance reviews and you know whether or not performance reviews are really that great uh, and all that good stuff. If you want to support us, go to our website at techjunior.dev, subscribe to our newsletter, uh, check out our Patreon, check out our Teespring store. Um, we appreciate all that stuff. Also, share the show on Twitter, you know, leave us a review on iTunes, all that good stuff. Uh, we really appreciate it. So, all right, that's all I got. On to the show. Welcome to Tech Junior. My name is Lee Work Junior. I'm a full stack JavaScript developer. Have with me, as always, Eddie. Hey, it's Eddie. I'm a front end developer. And today we've got a special guest. We have Michelle Brenner. Uh, Michelle, if you could introduce yourself. Hi, uh, I'm Michelle. I'm a senior software engineer. I'm currently in Netflix. I've been working in entertainment technology for most of my career, which has been 10 years, with a small detour into food technology. Awesome. Mm. So, uh, that is amazing. Uh, you're working for Netflix. That's um, a big deal, as I understand it. <laughs> um, pretty pretty hard to get into that company. So um, has it been a good experience so far? I mean, what's it like working for Netflix? Yeah, I've been there about three months so far, uh, and it's been really great. Um, there's a lot of challenges for me. The biggest one, technically, was just learning a new programming language, uh, which I've always been kind of not that interested in. I've been doing I've been doing Python for so long. I like Python. I like being able to solve those problems. And at first I was incredibly intimidated to learn Java. But then I got a lot of encouragement from my friends who were like, listen, it's just syntax. I promise you already know how to do this. And then I just took it one step at a time. I looked up how to do a list, how to do a dictionary. And there's a lot of like Python the Java help. And that was really nice. So uh, I've been slowly getting my legs under me for that. That's cool. cool. So um what do you think of Java so far? It's really verbose. <laughs> Tell me your feelings on public static void main. <laughs> Confusing. I think, okay, my biggest irritation right now is that you can't test private functions. So um, I just make everything public because I'm like, I just, I just want to add more tests. <laughs> I've, um, I've kind of run into that a little bit with... Um, TypeScript? With like TypeScript, yeah. uh, but but not too much. But yeah, I, I've kind of felt that pain. Um, but I haven't done Java for, gosh, like 10 years. I did a little bit in computer science courses uh, when I was at um, university, and it was pretty miserable. So um, I can only imagine going from Python to Java. The nice thing is that my teammates have been super supportive about it. And I've just been like, hey, I don't know anything. So if in your code review, you're like, why did you do that? You don't have to ask. You can just say... Oh, I bet you didn't know about this, and that's probably true. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So can you um, maybe tell us a little bit about your background and kind of how you got into programming? Sure. So I actually uh, went to art school. I wanted to be an animator, uh, but that didn't work out. Um, and I actually, my first job was at Sony Pictures Imageworks, and I started as a support engineer, which is I really got my feet wet into programming. Uh, I basically it was 
if I automated my job, I could spend more time doing fun things because I was mostly supporting artists and making sure they could get their work done as fast as possible. And by learning Python programming, it could increase the amount of time they were working. So the more I did that, the more I realized I just like to solve problems and it really opened up tech for me. So I spent five years there and then I moved on to Technicolor where I was kind of doing B2B work for continuing in VFX. And then after that, I was like, well, let me try something completely different. And that's when I went to Chow Now where I did uh, food tech and help people uh, order from restaurants online, which is very important right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are very busy. Yeah. I got it out at the right time. Um, <laughs> And then this opportunity came up in Netflix, and I just love the idea of working at enormous scale where every single decision has ramifications. I thought it'd be super interesting. Yeah, totally. I'm sure um, Netflix is is doing a lot of work right now (laughs) because everybody's at home kind of watching TV. So So you learned programming on the job? Yes. Um, I'd taken some computer science courses, but it was more just... If I, you know, if I script something, it made my day better. So it just really was motivating. And my boss at the time um, really pushed for that. It was like, listen, you could do everything manually, but you're going to stress yourself out. Like if you start to automate, the, you know, you have more downtime. That's cool. Cool. So um, you started out with Python, it sounds like? Yeah. A lot of visual effects is Python. Um, it's basically Python and Linux. And a lot of the software packages allow you to put in like little Python scripts to get things done. So people tend to, in visual effects, to work in Python. Cool. Uh, Any tips for anybody that's getting started in Python or kind of dipping their feet into that area? For me, it was all about having goals. And it really fit well with learning on the job where it was like, okay, this problem is happening. How do I solve it? For me, just having like, today I'm going to learn how classes work isn't helpful instead of it's like, okay, this person needs to do work and it's taking them an hour to get their project set up. How can I make it take only 30 minutes? And just having a goal that actually helps someone else or even yourself, I think is really helpful. Cool. Cool. Um, Any tips as far as like installation? This is kind of a derail, but I've noticed that there's a lot of different ways to install Python. You can go to like their website and download like version three, or you can go and download like Anaconda, or you can go download PyNV and kind of switch between different versions. So do you have like a preference on on that? For me, it's, it's going to the basics first. So I like going to the site and just downloading it and then seeing what other options there are to put on top of it. But the important thing is knowing, you know, kind of the basics first before you start using things like PyNV or Tox or things like that that kind of help you on top of it. Because then if something, if you make your stack too complicated at first. If something breaks, you won't know where the problem is. It's kind of like write one function at a time, kind of add one thing to your stack at a time. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and then another question I had was when you were talking about uh, entertainment tech, you mentioned B2B. Uh, what is that? Oh, uh, that's business to business instead of business to consumer. Um, mm-hmm. So that meant that our clients were movie studios and it's a very different than, say, having an app where at like Chow Now, where our, you know, our customers are people ordering food. So it could have been anyone. And there are the opportunities to have millions of customers. When you're doing B2B and specifically with movie studios, there's basically like six. I think there might be five now. So you have to be, you know, very attentive because you can't lose one of those. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, kind of, uh, again, a little bit of a derail, but how did you get into, uh, like working in, in some of those entertainment industry jobs? Yeah. So I had that experience going to art school and being really into animation and that whole pipeline. Um, and then I went to this conference called SIGGRAPH and I volunteered there to get to go cause I was a college student without any money. Um, and it was a really amazing volunteer experience because what they did is during lunchtime, they would bring in people who are hiring entry level and kind of explain what you needed to get the jobs. And you could just hand in your resume right there. And that's where I met my first boss. And it took me two years from when I first gave her my resume to when, you know, I built up my skills enough and they had the opportunity for me. Um, but it was just a really great experience. So my first job was basically a support engineer um, and just kind of helping people get things done. And the opportunity was there to go into different artist roles, but I really just fell in love with the programming. That's cool. cool. <clears throat> so um, I think that that's an interesting point uh, on, on our show. We, we have an audience that's a lot of junior developers. So um, maybe there's a lot of opportunities for support roles um, or kind of like maybe programming adjacent roles out there. And I think you know, people t have a tendency to turn their nose up at that and go like, oh, no, I'd, I want to go directly into programming. So uh, do you think that it was beneficial or helpful to kind of work in that support role first and then slowly move into more uh, mainstream programming? I think it was extremely beneficial and it's been paying dividends ever since because I got to learn the product really well. So when I've done hiring, I always explain it as I always have to teach the person coming in something. I either have to teach them you know, Python or teach them how visual effects works because there's just so much to it. So I I just want to teach a person one thing. So I'm less worried if they don't know, say, the programming language than if they, you know, if they know the business really well. So someone coming from a support role or a QA role or a customer service role, if they know that product really well, that really helps. That's something I tell career changers all the time. Like if someone was a lawyer or worked in finance, I say, hey, go work in the technology of that field because you bring so much to the table. And I think that really helped me when I was getting that job at Netflix. I'm like, Hey, I don't know any Java, but I know, you know, I know entertainment backwards and forwards. And that's something they brought up multiple times. Nice. Yeah. I've kind of had the sense that, um, it's really beneficial to, to be in those different roles. Uh, I talked to a, a local company in Orlando and they said when they take on interns, they rotate them through different departments. So they get, that kind of breadth of experience with uh, the product and working at the company. So uh, that seemed like a really good idea. And um, I'm glad that you had that experience and could kind of share, you know, that it worked out so well for you. Absolutely. I think knowing the business helps you be a better engineer in many ways. Um, and because you know what people actually need and not just what they tell you they need. Yeah, hundred percent. Mm -hmm. So, um, we wanted to have you on the show today, uh, primarily to talk about salaries. So, um, on Twitter, you know, maybe a month back, uh, there was this whole salary weekend where people were just posting like how much they made, uh, Dan Abramov posted his salary and a bunch of other kind of big names in the space. And there was a quite a bit of turmoil over that. Um, a lot of kind of shock and awe, I guess, from people thinking, you know, how much this person made or how much this person made and, oh my God, this person's underpaid and, and so on and so forth. So uh, before we kind of dig into your area of expertise there, um, what was your kind of reflection on that that whole mess? So I felt like it was really unsurprising 
Um, some of it I'd learned a couple years ago. I was actually at a conference. I was talking to someone and she was like, did you know that, you know, Glassdoor salaries aren't real and that there's like secret salaries out there that people know about? And I was like, what? And I found that at first shocking, but then over time, I realized you had to talk to people to know what it is. And it makes total sense. It's just the, the different power dynamic, right? Companies want to pay you as little as they can and you want to get as much as you can. But it's so hard to know that information. They know what everyone's paid, but you don't. So it's about, for me, finding out as much as I can and really proving this is why I want to get paid this much. Can you expand a little bit on secret salaries and Glassdoor salaries not being real? Yeah, I mean, oh, I hope I don't get in trouble for this, but we'll see. <laughs> um, this is just the the rumors that I heard, and it just seems to be true by looking at the numbers, is that if you think about companies whose, whose business is to put salaries online, you think about who they're paid by. I mean, you can think about any SaaS product, right? Like what... Who, what is their business model? And if they're getting paid by companies to represent the companies well, why are the, why would the companies be incentivized to put high salaries out there? Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Um, there's um, certainly uh, a lot more that goes into it probably than people take at first glance, right? Um, so the, the front-facing... Um, portion of like salary.com or whatever is, oh, people go in there and input their own salary information. But, you know, honestly, we don't really know internally how Glassdoor or salary.com or whatever comes up with those numbers. So um, kind of, I guess, to follow a movie trope, like follow the money, you know, (laughs) who pays to keep those companies in business? Why do they do the thing they do? Why do they post salary information? Um, I'm sure there's some, you know, recruitment reason uh, behind the scenes that's, um, that's causing that. So, yeah, I, I don't want to pick on Glassdoor. It's basically any company that they're, you know, they want to make money. And if, you know, they make money by doing something a certain way, it just makes sense. Yeah. I've, I've kind of had some experience looking at those numbers in like my area. Like, okay, so we're in Orlando, Florida. And I look at like Glassdoor and go, hmm, that number doesn't really seem right to me. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's kind of a, it varies across text, tech stack and experience level and all kinds of junk. So uh, it's, it's really hard to get a, a read on that. Yeah, it's it's your experience. It's how much money that company has, how much they know you know about salaries. There's just so much variety in it. It's so hard to average that out. Every time I've looked, the salaries have been way lower than what I've heard from either from talking to other people who have similar jobs. So is that kind of your go-to method is just kind of ask around and kind of talk to your network to figure out what salaries might be like? Talking to my network is like my go-to for everything uh, because I feel like once you're friends with people, they will give you the truth. Um, So learning about salaries was definitely from my network. Getting jobs and learning about what companies are really like is from my network. I cannot overemphasize just getting to know people in your fields through networking events or conferences or Twitter. Tech Twitter is a lot of fun. Um, and that's really I've got, where I've gotten the best information. Uh, levels at FYI actually seems fairly accurate as well. And that's fairly new. You said levels at FYI? I think it's levels.fyi. Oh, the, it's mm-hmm. a website. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we'll have to check that out. I've, I've never heard of that. 
Yeah, those numbers are really high, so it seems more accurate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so you, you've kind of got, um, as I understand, like a workshop on salary negotiation. Uh, how did you get into that? Yeah, so it started actually at my first job uh, where my boss was such an amazing mentor and taught me all these ways of documenting myself and making sure that kind of my worth was heard. And she came up with it because her first year as a director, the VP brought her in and was like, hey, tell me everything you did this year. And she was like, uh, a lot, but didn't have the numbers to back it up. So they were like, why are we, why do you have 40 people on your team? You know, how are you justifying it? Things like that. So she came up with this system of documenting herself and then taught me. And then once I was out of that job, I looked around and talked to people and I realized this isn't common knowledge. You know, other people have been doing similar things, but most people aren't doing this. So once I started doing the workshop and teaching people, I've had such amazing feedback where people have been like, I've gotten raises, I've gotten new jobs and things like that. So I just really like putting that energy out there and really bringing people up. Awesome. Cool. Uh, so maybe before we dig into that specifically, uh, we're kind of a junior focused podcast. So there's a lot of people listening to this that are kind of looking for that first job. Yeah. Um, do you have any experience like uh, negotiating an offer or kind of coming from that perspective of not having a lot of experience or really not having any ammunition in a negotiation? I'm of the opinion that there's always something that you bring to the table. Like there's a reason why they're hiring you. They're not just giving you a gift. You're bringing to the table what your experience is. And for, you know, I talk about this in the workshop, but it's important that you understand that there's things you learn from every job, right? You might've learned customer service or organization or how to, you know, hold a meeting or doing those details. All those skills matter just as much as you know you know is as the java or the python so that can all come later that's much easier to learn online there's like a million tutorials and that's how i've been learning java but all those other skills you kind of learn from experience and i think you can kind of bring that to the table when you're trying to get a job and when you're trying to get the salary you deserve uh, for me it's more I've done less initial salary negotiation and more on the job where you can show your worth even easier. You can say, hey, this is the project I did my first three months. This is the one I did last six. Look how much money it's getting you. And that's how you get those raises. So I think that's really important for the junior engineers where they don't feel like they have a lot going in, but you want to climb that ladder. You want to be given more responsibility. You want to be given that more money. You kind of just have to make sure you document everything you do and then show that impact to the business. Cool. So let's say, um, you know, I'm a junior engineer and I, I just got my first job and I'm starting fresh. You know, maybe I, uh, I got an offer and I wasn't like super excited about it, but I wasn't terribly disappointed with it. I'm kind of okay, but you know, it's maybe not what I had in mind as far as a number whenever I got hired. And certainly like I've talked to other people and looked on Glassdoor and all those places and seen like these you know, amazing, sparkling, uh, angelic course singing salary figures. And I'm just like nowhere near that. So uh, I'm at my job, I'm working, I'm kind of learning whatever I can. Um, what is your advice for that person? Like, what should they be doing uh, in that first year and that, that first role? So I would say even before they accept that offer, 
is to ask what else that company is providing. Especially when you're new, you need mentorship. You need to know that you'll be able to ask questions and people will answer you and be nice about it and explain the whole thing. You know, those matter more. I mean, obviously money matters. That's what this whole conversation is about. But if I didn't have the mentors that I had in my first couple of years, I don't think I'd be where I am today because they were so helpful and really pushing me both technically and in my career that it helped me. So I would ask, okay, who's going to who's gonna help me? And then also, what's the path? Tell me exactly what I need to be to go from junior to mid-level so I can focus on that and not focus on things like, like glue work and things that don't matter. I want to be on the projects that have impact to the company and make sure that you're on that path as soon as possible and you're not just doing bug fixes for a year that no one really cares about, but they feel like they can give it to you because you're the junior person. You want to be a part of a team that's doing the big, important business-altering projects that are making the company lots of money. Okay. So this kind of sounds like some good stuff to ask like before you even you know, take the role. So yeah. uh, obviously mentorship, but also like, hey, what am I going to actually be doing? And like you said, am I going to be working on something that's important to the business or am I going to be, like you said, squashing bugs? <laughs> yeah. And then to answer your, you know, what to do once you get there is to just make sure you stay on that path and you constantly ask, right? If someone gives you something, you can always say, hey, what is the impact of this? What is the priority of this? How is this helping the company? Tell me how this is either you know, saving money or time or making more money or time because that's the whole, this kind of goes deep into the workshop where the whole point of it is to calculate how much money you're making the company. So you can say, hey, I made you a million dollars this year. You can give me a $20,000 raise. Interesting. So yeah, that, yeah, that kind of jumps to the quick of it. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think maybe if you haven't worked in a, one of these types of positions before, um, there's a like a yearly review usually uh, where you kind of have to score yourself on how you did. And maybe you have a direct supervisor that also scores you and gives some kind of opinion. Um, wh what's your opinion of those? And how do you typically prepare for something like that? So I like to prepare all year for that. And I actually prefer the more reviews, the better. Uh, my first job, we did quarterly reviews. And then we just kind of merged those all in together for the final annual review. Um, and that way you can always keep track of what you're doing. The nice thing about being an engineer is that we kind of have that built in. If you're using something like GitHub or Jira, you can look back at all your tickets and say, hey, what impact did this have? And kind of add those all up. So that's the first thing I do is I go a year ago and I look at everything I've done and try to break those into categories and projects and impact and, and write a summary of it. Um, if you're on top of it, you're doing that all year, right? You're, you know, uh, maybe once a week or once a month, you're sitting down and saying, Hey, what have I worked on? What is the impact bit? That's great. But if you don't, you know, do that all the time, you can do that by just looking at everything you did for the year and kind of adding that all up and showing your impact. Yeah. I've, I've definitely been in a spot where I've kind of worked in jobs, not necessarily in tech where, uh, we have these yearly reviews, everybody hates them. Um, between the employees and the supervisors, it, it's like everybody feels kind of like it's busy work. And a lot of folks, myself included, have kind of struggled to 
think of what to even write, or maybe the questions themselves are like odd or mismatched to the role. Um, so what I'm hearing is kind of to take a weekly inventory or kind of self-check of where you're at and kind of what you're accomplishing and maybe kind of look ahead and see, am I on the right path? Um, and then hopefully you have some kind of supervisor or mentor that can steer you in the right direction, right? Yeah. And I also would say not to be afraid to answer questions they're not asking. Um, Cause I think that's part of it is that you'll see these like generalized performance review questions and like, this doesn't apply to me because they're trying to make questions that make sense for the whole company. And sometimes they're just nonsense. Like I've gotten questions that are like, tell me the top, you know, three things you did this year. I'm like, I'm sorry, I have 20 things I did and we're going to go into detail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, welcome to my TED talk about how great I am. And you can't <laughs> be afraid to show that, right? Like you, you have to go that above and beyond. So I don't think it's, especially when you, you should have that, not just the written version, but hopefully that one-on-one with your boss is when you come with that, you know, that basically that ammunition of, hey, I know these were the questions, but I'd like to talk about all my accomplishments of the year and kind of showing that pattern of improvement. Um, I think about this all the time and I'm, and I'm sure other engineers do because it's, you don't want to get bored, right? You don't want to be doing the same thing. Um, you know, and like I said, I did Python for 10 years, but I was doing different things. And that was what was important to me was that I was always, you know, there was something in my mind of this is what I want to learn this quarter. This is the next thing and the direction I want my career going. And I think that's an inventory you have to take of yourself because um, it's not your boss isn't always going to know here's the thing you should do next because there's so many different paths you could go. Um, you know, you could learn 10 different languages. You could go towards infrastructure. You could go towards management. There's just so many different paths that I think it's important for you to figure out here's what I want to do and here's the things I think that will get me there and then kind of confirm it with your boss during performance review. Like, hey, this year, you know, I I did this project. It had this impact. And also in that time, I learned how lambdas work and how to do effective APIs. And that was really great. And I think that helps me go towards an architecture role. And what else do you think I need to learn to do that? This is what I think I need to learn, but you tell me so that you're both on the same page. So it's both a, here's what I've done and here's my path of achievement. But then also, I want to make sure that we're both on the same page of, I'm going to go towards this career goal and this is the thing I need to do for that. Yeah, I really like that answer because it's a lot less passive than I think um, a lot of people would kind of picture that scenario. So I know I've been in performance reviews, I've been in one-on-ones with bosses and I've just kind of, well, what do you think of me? And they're like, oh, you're doing great. And then that's the end of the meeting. Um, what you're describing is sounds a lot more fruitful. Like, hey, I'm looking for this. Like, I have a clear picture of what I want in my mind. And here's what I think that looks like. But I want you to tell me, you know, let, like, let's synchronize this trajectory that, that's in my mind with what you're thinking and then kind of plan on how to get there. And maybe the more often you can have those kind of meetings, the better. So um, I know I've had some previous roles where we don't have one-on-ones at all. You know, we, we only have the yearly uh, review and it's kind of like this ritual that everybody just kind of suffers through. So um, if you don't have that kind of structure at your company, do you think that that's something that you should push for or kind of hit your boss up and say like, hey, I'd like to check in a little bit more often or how, how do you feel somebody should handle that? 
Yeah, I feel like managing up is always really important if you're not getting what you need from your boss. And also because you're in control of your career, right? Um, They're just happy to let you stay in your job and do great at your job forever. And if you'll just keep doing that, that's like way easier than finding another person. So I think it's kind of up to you. Um, If they're not into formal one-on-ones, I'm always all about over-communicating. I'd rather tell you more of what I'm doing than less. So if, say, you have to do it over Slack or over email, just say, hey, this is what I'm working on. This is why I'm working on it. Do you have any thoughts? You know, and even if it's you have to make all the decisions, at least it's documented what you're doing. So say a promotion does come up for, you know, a mid-level role or that senior role that you've been looking for, you'd be like, hey, remember all those conversations we had that you just responded, okay? Well, those were agreements. So let's. <laughs> I think I'm ready for this and here's why. So at least they have that, like, list of documentation so even if they are you know uninterested in kind of helping your career you can at least show that path um and then if you know they have no advice to give you that's where i'd also seek advice either from your peers managers from other departments or outside of your company there are so many mentorship uh opportunities out there where people want to help that if you're just not getting it in your company it could be that that's just not the culture there or it's a tiny company and no one has time for that. Um, there are other places you can look for and you really just have to be, you know, I can't say it enough that you're in charge of your own career and that you have to make sure to push yourself forward as much as possible and know that it's not, it's not bragging. It's just showing what you did. Yeah. So it kind of comes back to networking, right? You have to kind of have those connections out there and have those resources that you can, you know, talk to you if, if you're not getting that at your company, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and it's not always about going places. Like if you say, hey, I don't have the money to travel to that conference, that's fine. There's a million public Slack groups and message boards and places like that. You would just say, hey, I'm looking for help. Does anyone know any mentor in this area? Or, you know, for me, mentorship is about having specific questions. That's what I really like when I mentor people. And that's what I do when I, you know, look above me and ask for mentorship, like, hey, uh, like recently, I've had a lot of questions about what being on a corporate board looks like. So I've just been finding people like, hey, you're on a board, tell me what that's like, tell me what you look for. And then that's it. You know, you only need to have that 20 minute conversation, but it's so impactful in how you decide how you move your career forward. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, circling back to reviews a little bit. Um, how do you feel about modesty in that scenario? Like, is that a time to kind of roll it back or do you think you should just kind of let it rip and yeah, I'm the best? Um, because I've, I've had a lot of, Hey, score yourself one to five or something. And I'm like, well, I feel I'm a five. And then when it comes to (laughs) (laughs) review time, they're like, well, you're a three. And I'm like, we're not seeing eye to eye on this. So that's a good um, question. (laughs) Go ahead, Eddie. (laughs) No, I'm just saying that's a good question because I I do the opposite or like I maybe I underscore myself or whatever uh, or what I feel like they're going to score me at. Um, I almost rarely ever do a five if I had the one to five. I think in general, those numbers are just so hard because it's like, what are you comparing yourself against? Are you comparing yourself against other employees? Are you comparing against yourself? I will tell you a funny story since this is for junior engineers. If someone gives you that question when they're hiring you, it's a trick. Do not put five. If you put five, (laughs) we will not hire you. (laughs) Um, 
it's just like I we did this before. It was just like rate yourself in all these skills, and we expected everyone around like we're higher entry level. We were expecting twos and threes, right? If someone tells me you're like a five or who? No, no one's a five in technical <laughs> skills. Um, like you have to explain to me why. Ha- I, I usually follow that question with what brought you from a four to a five, and then like does that mean you have nowhere to go? I usually like it when people say. Hey, I'm a three, so I can ask what brought you from a two to a three, and what brought you from a three to a four. So, kind of the justifications behind those numbers. Um, for the annual review, I like to think of is about it's just you against yourself, right? Like I like to think of myself as the uh, that Olympian track runner. I'm not, you know, I always just want to de- you know decrease my time, and then if I do that, I'll get better and better. So it's more about like, this is how I've impacted over the year. And this is how I've improved over the year. And, you know, that like, I've had them too, where it's just like, did you meet expectations or exceed expectations? And I always just put the highest number. because I'm like, I think I did great because I did all these things. Um, but it's so, it's such a weird question to ask, especially when it's tied to salary. I, I just always like to go like, Sure, I'll give you this number, but I really just want to go deep into the details so you can have a more context into why I'm doing so well and not just throw that number over the fence and we just leave it there. Yeah, that's kind of the place I'm coming from is like that yearly review where they're asking you, I don't know, hey, what rate yourself on your community involvement, right? Such a broad thing. And you're like, well, I'm going to do a podcast to do a meetup. Um, I participate in, you know, organizing stuff at the office, game night. Uh, we do trivia. Um, I helped, you know, mentor these junior engineers, you know, whatever. And you're just like, I crushed it. I got a five. Yeah. And then you go to the review and they're like, we gave everybody a three. And you're like, what is this? <laughs> you know, you flip your desk. <laughs> uh, I once got below a five and I was like, are you insane? And they said, oh, well, we didn't have the money to give everyone five. So I'm like, all right, well, then your review system is uh, broken. Yeah, that's really bad. Yeah, I'll throw out that um, as a nurse, uh, I worked for a hospital and we did these stupid yearly reviews. Uh, I'm, I have a low opinion of them, obviously. But, mm-hmm. um, we did those reviews and everybody got numbers or whatever. And basically what they did was everybody got a three unless you work there for like five years. And then you got like a four. And if you screwed up at any point, they dinged you and brought you down from a three to a two. And so I felt mm-hmm. like I was bringing my A game to work. And then when I sat down in this review, they were like, well, you said one time this. And so we brought you down to a two that made me feel like you didn't care. And I was like, are you even serious? Like I've, I've taken two or three patients or I've, you know, assisted these other nurses and helped in cardiac arrests and blah, blah, blah. And sitting down on, you know, the other side of the table from that and having to hear from your boss, like, well, we highlighted the stuff that you screwed up is kind of demoralizing and, and really defeating. So, um, Needless to say, you know, I got like 10 cents that year or something stupid. So wow. uh, it, it was <laughs> it was pretty miserable. But I know that that situation happens all over the place uh, in, in bigger companies and maybe even smaller ones. But I'm sure that's not a foreign situation to a lot of people out there. No, and it's extremely brutal because it's clearly your managers don't care about your impact. And, you know, you can bring everything to the table and say, hey, you know, I got you know, 20 extra clients for us this year. I built the software features that everyone loves. I'm the reason we're doing well. And they're like, well, 
we don't care about that. We care about that one time you broke the build and everything crashed for an hour. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's when you realize that maybe that's not the right company for you. Um, and the fact that tech is uh, so booming because you could work in almost any industry in any type of company, they need technologists. It's important for you to say, hey, are there better opportunities out there? And you can take all that thing that you wrote for your review and just put that on your resume. <laughs> I have a hundred percent done that every time I've, I've kind of like had this idea in my head, like, okay, you know, I'd like to make a better salary down the road. Either this is going on my performance review or it's going on my resume. And usually the resume is just kind of a living document. And whenever I like get assigned something at work, like boom, light item on the resume working on the Saturday other thing. Yeah. That's, it's interesting too, because I've seen a lot of resumes and a lot of them will say like, um, I worked at this company and I used this technology and I love instead saying, here's the impact I had. So that same thing you'd bring to a review, just put that on your resume. Like, hey, I helped us get 20 clients or I put out this major feature that made us a million dollars. Like, I want to see those numbers. I think it's impressive. That's cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've always heard the best advice for that is to talk about how it impacts the business and not, you know, I use blah technology or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like, that can mean almost anything. You know, there's been projects that I've worked on that I've had tiny roles and projects that I've had the lead role. And if you just say I worked on this project, that doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah, 100%. So kind of moving away from um, the actual formal reviews and the... uh, I don't know, the, the systems in place for, you know, your annual cost of living adjustment or whatever raises. Um, how do you feel about going outside of that and just like, you know, Hey, I'm going to schedule a meeting with the CTO and we're going to sit down and talk about my value to the company and, and kind of where we're at. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's always good to have those conversations, even if they say no. It's tough because if you're in a less privileged position, you're more likely to face backlash for that. But that tells so much about the company, right? I think you need to go into those conversations with if this ends really badly, I might need to find another job. Um, I've walked into um, a meeting and I said, listen, I got this offer letter from another company, but I'd like to stay here. Can you please match it? And I felt like that was really effective because they saw that I could go. And I didn't want to go, but I was like, if they don't appreciate me enough to to even match what I can, I've clearly already gotten, then maybe this other company will be a better fit for me. So I think coming in, knowing there might be consequences to your actions is always positive. And knowing that you're in a secure place to be like, hey, if they say no, or they say, hey, we don't think you're a team player, and then the, the job sours, you might need to find another job, which is really tough. It's just, it, you know, it can be tough to say, hey, I know there's going to be consequences to this. But I think that gives you the confidence to try it and see if it worked out. And at that time, it did work out. They matched the salary, and I stayed at that company for another couple months. <laughs> another couple months? <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> I've, uh, I've heard some informal research out there that uh, and I say that because I have no sources for this, but that people that get another offer from another company statistically tend to be gone within a couple of months. Uh, oh, do, really? do you feel like that's valid or? Uh, yeah. And most of the time, if it's a, if the company wants to match you, you shouldn't take it because 
the reason why you went looking for another job is because you want another job. Um, that situation was because I knew the company culture, and that's what they'd always told me. They'd been like, listen, this is a big company. We like to see your worth at other places. And the job I'd gotten an offer on, I didn't really want. Like, it'd been really great. I would have just left. And then down the line, I did just leave. I just said, hey, um, I found the right company for me, and they offered – they're like, we'll pay you like anything to stay. We really need you. And I was like, I'm, I've done all the learning I can do here. There's not a path for me to continue success. So I, it's time for me to leave. Um, but it really depends on the company. If you can come in with data, I think that really helps your cause. So do you kind of handle it the same way as, um, as the yearly review? Kind of you've got a running list or a journal or something of wins and, and achievements and stuff. And you just kind of hey, let's talk and then sit down and go, I think I'm worth more and here's why. Yeah, exactly. Um, you come in with that. You, know, you come in with like, hey, um, I've looked at the market. This is what people are paying in similar positions. I think I've grown in this job. I've gone from you know, doing the work of a junior engineer to doing the work of a mid-level engineer. And I'd like to you know, acknowledge that. Um, and those type of leveling usually just involves uh, money and titles. So it's a little easier than um, waiting for a job opening. Awesome. Uh, any other advice that you can think of from, I'm sure you have a lot, but, um, <laughs> any other key takeaways you think would be helpful for anybody out there from, uh, your experience or your workshop? I think it's all about knowing what you want and what will benefit you in the moment. Um, money is always great, but things like vacation time, 401k match, uh, remote flexibility, um, the ability to lead a project, things like that. Ideally, those would come with more money. But uh, if it, if you don't get that opportunity, you can get things that will help you later in your career. There were times when, you know, I felt like I had the skills for promotion that wasn't available to me. I was like, hey, can I just lead this project? Like, please just give me an AWS account and I would like to build something on it and then show you how, you know, effective it will be. And just given that freedom, I learned all these skills that then later helped me get jobs where I was paid more. So sometimes it's about figuring out what else you can get out of a company that's not exactly money. Okay, cool. Uh, Eddie, do you have any more um, salary negotiation burning questions? No, this is all like really good information. Yeah, I think this is a fantastic discussion and, yeah. and really beneficial for folks out there. That being said, um, we've got a little bit of time, so I kind of want to dig into your, your back-end experience. Um, Eddie and I have done a lot of front-end development, uh, so we're, we're kind of well-versed in that area of JavaScript and the browser and ooh, shiny CSS things. Um, can you tell us a little bit just broadly about uh, your experience working in back-end development and kind of what that trajectory looks like? Sure. So I really like working in the back-end because I feel like it's more consistent. Like I don't have to worry about what browser people have. I just know <laughs> that, you know, I've installed this script that's Python, you know, 3.7. It's always going to run the exact same way and I don't have to feel um, very confused and try to poke that stuff down. So I really started with um, moving data around and small scripts like, hey, I need to rename all these files or I need to get uh, parse all this information. Like one of my early projects was, hey, I have all these logs and I want to create a report. So it's just really small things and they're just growing from there. Um, and a lot of what I learned is trying to 
not only tackle the small tasks, but um, to just kind of build on your knowledge over time and see what new things you can try on each successive projects and kind of make that your goal. Um, so, you know, Python's really nice because it's easy to just get up and running very quickly and say, hey, I'm just going to write run function that does this. And then just kind of building on that. And so you have a whole, you know, web app and just starting really small. Um, so I did a lot of backend. And then my next thing that I'm really enjoying learning is that infrastructure is kind of going in that direction. So instead of going forward in the pipeline and going front end, I've been kind of going back a little bit like, hey, I wrote this code. Where is it going? How is it running? How is it actually getting deployed somewhere in the cloud? And how do I make sure it's actually stable? And I find that really interesting. So that's kind of where I'm going with it, where it's like, okay, I've been doing these backend tools for a while. I've been writing APIs for a long time. And, you know, I find it still really interesting to break something down into an API, but it's like, what other technology can I learn? And I think it's really interesting seeing where we're going with cloud computing and how I can build something and actually get it up and running as quickly as possible, even though I still can't, you know, build the web form to interact with that. that that's cool. We'll, we'll handle the forms because yeah. all the backend stuff is scary. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, what does a, uh, what does that landscape look like with Python? Uh, Eddie and I have a lot of experience with JavaScript and we've done some node and uh, maybe MySQL and Mongo and, and that sort of thing. But um how does Python fit into that? So are you using like Django or Flask or uh, what kind of databases are you talking to? Are you on AWS? Like what kind of stuff have you worked with? Yeah. So I've worked with a couple of different things. And the thing to know, I think, and that's kind of what, you know, I brought up earlier about how my friend was like, hey, Java is not so different, is that whatever you're using and you want to use a slightly different version of that. So say you learn Flask first because Flask is really simple and um, a little easier to get started from scratch instead of Django. Getting into Django is much easier because you understand the concepts of like, okay, there's, you know, the model view controller. There's three parts to this. I don't know what they're called in Django, but I'm going to go find out by because I already know how to do it in Flask. Um, and I've used uh, MySQL is very common. Um, and I've also used MongoDB. And I think it's all about just like understanding the differences between a SQL and a NoSQL database. And then, you know, whether you pick MySQL or Postgres, there's kind of similar ideas, but slightly different um, implementation. So it's all about just learning what those differences are and trying to figure out the best one for you to implement. Uh, in terms of cloud services, I give this whole talk about it, but <laughs> I always tell people that like Amazon's the biggest one. Most companies use that. So it's just always good to know. But if you want to learn another, you know, cloud company, if you want to learn Azure or Google Cloud, it can set you apart. So if you want to work at a company that's using Google Cloud and you know Google Cloud, like you're not, you know, you're not a common person. Not a lot of people know that. So I think that's how it can set you apart too. If you're a junior engineer and you're trying to figure out what to learn to get those jobs that you want, um, it could be really a differentiator. And I know like... This has always been hard. When people say like, oh, this is easy. There's no easy. Everything is difficult. Documentation is always bad. Error message is always bad because engineers like me write it <laughs> and we don't know what to write. And it always makes sense to us and it never makes sense to anyone else. So I just, I would say just like, don't get discouraged just because it seems like this huge monolith and just do like one problem at a time. When I was, you know, I was recently learning a couple months ago, 
cloud formation with AWS. And that was like a nightmare. Right. At first, I was like, I will never figure this out. But then I was like, okay, I'm deleting everything in this file except for one line. I'm going to get that one line to work. And then I'm like, okay, now I'm going to get that second line to work. And just making sure not to do too much at once. Like, don't write that whole program. Like, write a single tiny function. And that, like, joy of getting that one right will propel you for the rest of it. Because you're like, well, if I got that one right, I could probably get the second one right. And by the 10th time, you're like, well, I got those nine of them right. I feel like I can get number, you know, 10 right. So that confidence will kind of help push you through. And just remember, if you've solved problems before, you can probably continue to solve problems. Like no matter how daunting it is, you could probably figure it out. Cool. Yeah. If anybody out there is scratching their head about CloudFormation, um, that's kind of like the JSON YAML script uh, that you can talk to AWS with so that you can like architect and spin up services and whatnot. And it is dense. It's pretty dang hard to uh, find the correct documentation to do that. Uh, am, am I wrong? <laughs> no, and every ever message is timeout error. I'm like, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> like your database didn't spin up timeout error. I was like, what? But why? Like, oh, I was missing a colon. That's just tell me. <laughs> was there uh was there any secret to picking that up or was it just kind of putting your nose to the grindstone no it's just one at a time um and this realizing that like all the information is there and it's just sometimes hard to find i actually found more personal blogs were more useful than the actual documentation because the actual documentation from like amazon or google or, or microsoft is a little more geared towards someone who already knows what they're doing and just needs like one flag yeah this needs like an index and then other people will be like hey i made you know this whole app and i'll break it down each piece of it and that's how i was able to like find what people were doing so if you're learning something another great thing to do is write as you learn and then turn into a blog post and then look at you you're a writer now and people know you and you can get a job easier <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm feeling that because uh, I've definitely stared at the AWS documentation and been mystified. Uh, whereas I can watch like a video or something, they're like, "Let's explain serverless" or something, and actually walk you through the purpose of the technology and kind of that high level understanding. And I feel I feel like it's kind of hard to get that sometimes from the AWS docs. Yeah, it's it's all about the audience, right? The audience for people writing blogs is themselves. They're just like, "Hey, this is what I wish I knew when I started," and it tends to be closer to probably to what you need to learn as someone who's entirely new to a technology, right? Like I was entirely new to cloud. Like I knew my code went there, but I just didn't know anything about it. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Uh, I have another kind of unrelated Python question that kind of came to me when we were talking. And that's how do you handle um, like asynchronous actions and stuff in Python, like on a server or something? So if your Python script needs to make like an API call or something, uh, but it still needs to do other things. Do you branch off into like threading or how, how do you typically handle that? In JavaScript, we have like built-in asynchronous stuff with promises, but what's the story with Python? So I actually have very strong opinions about this because I've seen it done both ways. So you can do like multiple threading and have the Python uh, program kind of go off on its own and then come back. Uh, but I feel like that's very difficult for actually supporting your product. What I like to do is use task systems and there's a ton of them available uh, in Python, just kind of built in. You can throw it in um, where it's like an actual task queue. So you have your program and it's like, say, 
I need to talk to a third-party API that may or may not be up, or I need to uh, encode 10 videos and that's going to take 10 minutes and I, I need my endpoint to return right away with that information. You send it to a task queue and then that task queue will go through each of those items. And that's a really great way that you can scale as well because you can spin up multiple task queues. So, so, so if you have 10 tasks, you can spin up 10 machines and get them done way faster than if you just have one uh, the program running on one machine and just kind of like waiting for things to get done. It's also really nice because when things fail, you have the full documentation of it, right? So I'm going to go back to video encoding because that's, you know, my bread and butter. Uh, where like if I try to encode a video and it takes like 10 steps because there's like a bunch of things I need to do, I can see all of that in the logs in that task. And by having it on a task queue, I can easily retry it. You know, I could try it on a different machine. I could try, I can see the command that ran. I could try it manually. So just for the purposes of support, I really love task queues and I will always push things towards that. Um, and there's a lot of cloud-based ones. There's plenty of different options for Python that are like built in. So you don't have to, you don't have to make your own task queue. You don't have to figure out how to make it atomic. You just say, hey, bring in this library and here's the tasks I want it to do. Yeah, that was going to be my question um, to follow up was, is this something that like a Python thing you pip install or something, or is it something outside of Python, like you're using simple queue service or something in, in Amazon to queue up a bunch of scripts? Yeah, you could do either. I think they both work well. For me, it's just they're both better than using like async IO um, and things like that, where if something fails, you learn it fails, but you have no ability to do anything else with it. By having a task queue, it's all kind of self-contained. It's kind of like the idea of microservices where this is even smaller than that. It's just like a single thing. And if it fails, it's much easier to, to keep an eye on it. Um, and if you just want to uh, spin up a simple one, you could definitely pip install the different options. I don't know why I'm blanking on the name right now, but I've, I've <laughs> used that. I've definitely used you know local task queues. I've also used the cloud ones. It really depends how much you want to scale how much investment you want to do it. I always like to start everything local just to like understand what I'm doing and then slowly kind of push things to the cloud. So I'm like, okay, I understand how a queue works now. Let me use SQS to actually handle that. You know, that whole thing with scaling, you can have that be automatic with Amazon, right? Like if you think you're going to have a million customers or you're going to have bursts of things, like if you're, um, if you're Ticketmaster, you know, there are certain times when you need a lot more machines than you need those tasks to run a lot faster, it's really nice to have a cloud computing service that picks up that slack and then contracts when you don't need all those machines. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so like you said, Amazon and Azure and, and all that stuff are fantastic for auto scaling, right? Yeah. And if you want to learn cloud services, I mean, there's, it's definitely a huge learning curve, but there's a lot of resources out there. And if you just think about it as those services are motivated to help you learn, right? I talked a little bit before about following the money. Like Amazon wants you to use Amazon because they make money. So if they teach you how to use it and then you build your business on it, um, that's great for them. So if you just think about it like that and try to get the help you need, it'll, it'll be there for you. Do you have any favorite uh, resources for learning cloud computing or, or Python or anything? Yeah, I, I will give a shout out to AWS Newbies, um, since this is a more junior-oriented podcast, and that'll take you through what is cloud computing, how to use it, 
and really get you that structure to get started. Awesome. Uh, cool. I wrote that one down hundred um, <laughs> percent. We'll, we'll throw a note on the, uh, on the show notes with a link. Um, you also do your own podcast, right? From the, from the source. Can you talk a little bit about that? I would love to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I do it. Uh, it's an interview tech show where I interview people in who are working professionals in tech and kind of ask them, Hey, tell me the good, the bad, and the boring. What's your day to day? Like I love featuring underrepresented voices, um, it's really a way for me to ask all those questions that people ask me and things that I'm wondering about all the different types of jobs you can have. You know, you could work anywhere from Google to Walmart to um, I've had, I interviewed someone who worked on trains and I was like, oh, that's like like a real engineer. Uh, it's super <laughs> interesting to hear all the different varieties and not, you know, especially if you're just starting, you don't realize hey, it's not just fang companies. There are so many different ways that you can use technology and impact the world in positive ways. Can you, um, this is funny, can you tell everybody out there what fang means? Oh, uh, so fang is Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. It's kind of like the big tech companies that are, you know, the shiny ones, the ones that are just like the big Olympics of, tech and a lot of people really want to work for them because you know they they pay the most they have a lot of impact obviously in the world everyone's heard of them i mean obviously i was lured in because now now i work for netflix and i love it (laughs) um but it's not it's not the only tech out there um and it shouldn't be that like hey i interviewed at one of these companies and they didn't want me i guess i failed at tech it's like no there's just so many opportunities and you don't always have to you know go there at the beginning of your career and it may not be the right fit for you either. If you want to have huge impact, maybe working at a smaller company. Or you want to stay where you live in Kansas, you're not going to be working for a fan company, but you can do the same exact technology stack. Nice. Cool. So, uh, Eddie, you got any other questions? Are you ready for Nerd Minute? I'm ready for Nerd Minute. <laughs> cool. So, Michelle, we've got a segment at the end of every show where we... Uh, talk about movies or video games or books or whatever that we call nerd minute. So uh, you're the guest. Do you have anything that you'd like to share? Yeah. So I actually started my free trial of CBS all access so I could watch Star Trek. I've never. So the fun part about it is that I'd never watched any Star Trek before. So Star Trek discovery makes sense, but Picard doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Um, I'm just like trying so hard. Like I watched them like YouTube videos uh, I think my husband really likes it because I keep pausing it and asking for explanations and he's watched all of it. So it's like, it's a very different experience, I think, than people who are like lifelong Trek fans and just trying to like wrap my head around something with so much history. And I'm just like very fresh. I'm just like, who did this? What, how did they invent those uh, those translators? Do they only have, you know, a certain amount of languages? How do they get new languages? I'm just like asking all these questions that like, <laughs> Probably everyone else already knows. So it's a, it's silly interesting. Um, yeah, I I mean, it's I like Discovery more, but only because there's no backstory needed. Cool. Have cool. you watched any of the original with um, William Shatner? No, I, this is the only Star Trek I've ever watched. Okay. Yeah, the, the Shatner ones are, are pretty interesting. I think the newer movies it, are good. At least that first yeah. J.J. Abrams movie is really good. The first one is good. Yeah. The other one's not so much. <laughs> They're entertaining. I tried to watch uh, Rathacon, uh like a year or two ago, like the original one, oh. and it was 
pretty hard to get through. <laughs> <laughs> not a not a huge Star Trek person, but yeah, neither am I. Uh, hey, the... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was gonna say, oh, the new Star, the new uh, Twilight Zone is also pretty good. Oh, oh with the uh, what's his name, Jordan Peele? Yes. Yeah, it's tell, like hit or miss. It. Um, it's interesting because I was actually a huge Twilight Zone person. So for this, I'm like seeing the references to the old show, but it's like really cool seeing celebrities now in it because they only have to be in one episode, so they can get pretty high pro- high profile people. That's cool. Interesting. So have they been good overall? Or I know you said hit or miss, but yeah, I would say overall they've been really good. Cool. Cool. Do they uh, do you like modern themes, kind of like Black Mirror kind of thing, or do they kind of call back to the original kind of stories from Twilight Zone? I think it's a combination of both. Like they've been using aliens to address racism, like things like that, or like they brought up mm-hmm. immigration, but like with a sci-fi twist. So you can tell it's very much modern stories, and the production value is so good, and it's super interesting, and you're like. Oh, I bet if I'd watched the Twilight Zone when it originally aired, it might have had some of the same impact because those socially relevant episodes would have been super new. I'm intrigued. Yeah, uh, I think that I'd have to cool. check it out. Eddie, what do you got for Dirt Minute? So I watched a movie called uh, Guardians. Um, it's basically like a Russian Fantastic Four. Have you heard of this? I have not. Okay. Like the Guardians? It's, I think it's just Guardians. This is not um, the movie with Santa Claus, right? Huh? Is it the movie with Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny? No, no, no. That's okay. a different thing. <laughs> I know where you're talking All about. All right, because that's where my mind went. <laughs> no, no. This is like a Russian version of the Fantastic Four. So um, there's a, and there's, they have an invisible woman. There's a, a guy that's not the thing, but he turns into a bear. Like part of the movie, he's like half bear, half man. And then um, later on, he turns into a full bear um, and he can control it kind of like the Hulk. Um, Interesting. Yeah, there's a guy that's kind of like uh, similar powers to Nightcrawler. So he can poof in and out, whatever. He has these swords. Um, and then the other guy is kind of like Magneto, but he can control rocks. Uh, instead of metal, he's Rock Nito. Yeah, exactly. Geo Nito, <laughs> Mag Geo. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the it's it's kind of funny because the uh, the the villain has this like really crappy looking um, fake rubbery mu- muscle suit. Um, <laughs> I don't know, and I forgot his powers. I think he's like has some psychic powers or something. Um, but he has all these wires. Kind of looks like Bane, but he has um, psychic powers. And a lot of rubbery muscles, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was an, it it was weird. Um, and they have like a uh, Nick Fury type person that's like puts the team together. Um, it's just yeah, whatever. Um, it's very basic like comic book type of story. Uh, they were science experiments. They went off to do their own thing, and then they need them, so they recruit them all to fight this one guy. And uh, yeah, it's it was okay. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know how much to say about it. It was just interesting. The bear guy is is really weird. Did um, they do anything with it being like a Russian Fantastic Four interpretation, or not really? They I I think there's some something lost in translation because in translation because uh, 
they the movie's called Guardians, but they call them Patriots a lot in in the uh, in the movie. Um, and I watched it dubbed. I didn't watch sub. Uh, I didn't read subtitles. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very basic like you know comic book story, like the first X Men movie type of thing. Okay, it's not as interesting as that. But um, I, I've seen <laughs> images of it. What's that? I said you haven't sold me on it. <laughs> no, I'm not sure. trying to get anyone to watch it. I just thought this is there's like a thing. I've seen like blog posts about this movie. And I was like, oh, I want to see it now because I want to see what it's all about. And it's not it's not great or anything as far as comic book movies go. Um, but it, it was just interesting to see like a Russian version of this, you know, of a comic book movie. Um, and, and yeah, it was, it was all right. Cool. Sorry, I know I'm not selling you on it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It's on I think, uh, Netflix it's all- or Prime. I forget one or the other. Go ahead. I just say I think all Russian movies have to have bears in them, right? That's how they. Yeah, they- yeah. I that thought was that was thinking. interesting because uh, I, uh, I, I was hoping for more from it, like to be more crazy, ridiculous kind of. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, just more like comic book bent but it felt more like a, they were trying to do superheroes and like fast and furious kind of thing it didn't feel as like i don't know it wasn't like a fun movie like the marvel movies are um but it was just like superheroes kicking each other you know, beating each other up kind of thing yeah it, it wasn't so they kind of took it too seriously is what you're saying a little bit i think if you have a bear running around you should make more jokes you know it, it wasn't i'm with you yeah like wait, with the hulk they poke fun at the hulk all the time you know it's 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 got to be something like that um anyway yeah it was a little too serious for me <laughs> <laughs> cool well uh all i've got for this one is tiger king so uh, i know michelle's the... said that she hasn't seen it eddie mentioned it on a previous episode yeah um it's a train wreck it's awful <laughs> uh there's no redeeming qualities to it but to to sum it up, um, I saw a tweet that said uh, somebody said that they didn't watch Tiger King. And I said, OK, princess, get down here in the gutter with the rest of us. <laughs> and that is exactly how I feel about it. Uh, watch it if you have time to kill um, and then try and forget it. <laughs> you didn't like so it at bad. all. It is so entertaining, but like just the worst of America. Oh, I yeah. Feel like. <laughs> in a show <laughs> so um uh, another thing to note there is uh, i used to live in south florida and when i was in high school there was a tiger that got loose mm-hmm. uh like a couple miles from where i lived so fwc the florida wildlife uh, officers were out there with like big rifles trying to hunt a tiger uh and this was like during my childhood afternoon you know getting out of school one day and my parents telling me like, you need to stay inside because there's a tiger in the neighborhood. <laughs> and I was like scarred, not scarred for life, but kind of never will forget that. And lo and behold, here's this dumb show about this guy that has like 400 tigers or something on his property. And I, I immediately like flash back to that. And then at one point in the show, they show a map of the United States and kind of put dots over all the private um, big cat owners and there's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a scary amount and an even larger number than you would think in Florida. So, um, 
not good. I think in the <laughs> documentary of, they say they're more living in you know cages or whatever captivity. in the U.S. than there are in the wild. Something yeah, like that. yeah. They say um, there's like I don't know if it's two or four times the amount. Yeah, in captivity than in the wild. Yeah, which is pretty gnarly. Um, but yeah, it's it's scary. It, it, I remember. Have you guys ever seen I Am Legend where Will Smith is in New York and there's lions and junk running around? Yeah. Yeah. That that's gonna be Florida, but minus the big buildings, <laughs> if there's ever an apocalypse. Uh so if coronavirus kills all of us, um, there's gonna be some big cats running around. Like I undoubtedly, because there's just so many here. So I did watch it. I just can't tell you any extra information just because I work for Netflix. I can't explain why why these people are the way they are or why they're doing it. I just know they're all terrible people. That's what I got yeah. out of it. Is like it was super entertaining because none of it made any sense. And then like by the end, I was just like sad for cats. Yeah, like, yeah. none of them were winners. Yeah, the losers in this were the animals, uh, unfortunately. Um, did you guys and see... every human being involved go ahead okay i think eddie dropped out there are you there did i get cut off okay (laughs) you're back Uh, i was gonna ask um if you've seen don't f with cats i have not okay that's another crazy documentary on netflix um if you have time Netflix is bringing the uh, crazy documentary game pretty strong. I feel yeah. like. I mean, they're just full of wonderful content, and they're the best company in the world. <laughs> this is how I get a raise. <laughs> uh, I I will actually like. So it's kind of when we're recording this. It's pretty tough times. Um, I watched Crip Camp, and that was super inspiring and amazing, and I cried. And if anyone wants a distraction that's actually about positive things, about people doing positive things, that's okay. the one I'd recommend. What is that about? So that's about the um, disabled people who worked to get the ADA passed and kind of like the oh, really? 20, 30 years of advocacy to make that happen. That's cool. What's it is called that again? on Netflix, I'm assuming? Yes. It's called Crip Camp. Okay. That seems like an insensitive name for such a show. I think they named it themselves. How, how do you spell it? C-R-I-P. Camp? Camp. Wow. <laughs> I would not have titled it that, but uh, I think I want to check it out because it sounds interesting. Yeah, I definitely think it's a scenario of people reclaiming the names that were used against like, them. Like we're taking it back. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, that's an interesting note to end on. But uh, yeah, Michelle, <laughs> thanks so much for, for joining us on this episode. This has been a blast talking to you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. And everybody out there, please check out From the Source uh, with Michelle. Thanks for listening to Tech Junior. Head on over to our site at techjunior.dev for show notes and past episodes. While you're there, sign up for the newsletter. Get an email from us once a week with the latest episode and some other goodies. If you'd like to support us, you can do so by becoming a Patreon subscriber. Special thanks to all of our current patrons. And we've also got a Teespring store where you can get some cool Tech Junior swag like t-shirts and stickers designed by Eddie and I. Find links to both on our website at techjunior.dev under the support tab. Uh, please follow us on Twitter at TechJR Podcasts. You can follow me at Leor Jr. and Eddie at ED0TER0. Join us next week where we're talking to Sharp Fives uh, on itch.io, um, also known as Alex Rybeck, about JavaScript game development with PhaserJS. So uh, that's an awesome episode. 
Um, we talk about the entire stack, I guess, of, of game development from asset creation all the way through the actual code involved. So be sure to check that out next week. All right, that's all I've got for this one. I will see you guys next Wednesday. Take care.